This morning's scripture reading comes from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter 3, starting at verse 14 and going through 21. My response is to get down on my knees before the Father, this magnificent Father who parcels out all heaven and earth. I ask Him to strengthen you by His Spirit, not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength, that Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite Him in. And I ask Him that with both feet firmly planted on love, you will be able to take in with all followers of Jesus the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience it. Test its length. Plumb the depths. Rise to the heights. Live full lives, full in the fullness of God. God can do anything, you know. Far more than you could ever imagine or guess or require in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us. His Spirit deeply and gently working within us. Glory be. Glory to God in the church. Glory to God in the Messiah and Jesus. Glory down all the generations. Glory through all millennia. Oh yes. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Are there any kids here this morning that want to come up? Are there kids message? So friends, I have some good news to report to you this morning. Some really, really good news. The youth of this congregation 
had devoted approximately 1,600 hours of service in the name of Jesus Christ over the past two weeks. Over two weeks, members of this congregation have made homes safer, warmer, drier, and more accessible to some of the most vulnerable people in the communities we traveled to. Countless post holes were dug in the rocky Shenandoah Hills, while over 6,000 pounds of cement were carried, mixed, carried again, and then poured. While some students cleared an abandoned lot to create a safe place for neighborhood children to play, other students were up the street using a jackhammer to dig up the basement floor so that an 80-year-old woman could finally have the plumbing in her home repaired that so many had come by and fixed for her. Drywall has been repaired and replaced, wheelchair ramps have been constructed, and lives have literally been transformed by the youth of this church. But do you all want some even better news? No? Yes? Do you all wait? Some of those same youth who got back from Pittsburgh a week ago boarded a plane yesterday and headed to Nicaragua, another mission trip just within a week of returning from one. And as a youth pastor, I get really geeked up. Geeked up means excited, if you didn't know. Um, I get really geeked up hearing news like that. This morning's scripture reading is a benediction to the prayer Paul is offering the church in Ephesus. Prior to this, Paul was telling the Ephesians to trust in Christ and unveiling what Pastor Tim described last week as God's secret plan of salvation. So in this morning's reading, Paul is wrapping a really nice bow around what he has written and preparing to transition to the rest of what he wants to say to the church. A benediction. That's something most of us are pretty familiar receiving at the end of a worship service. It's a prayer that helps us to respond to the commitments we've made in our hearts during worship. And for you Methodist nerds out there, this benediction from Paul is actually used in the United Methodist Book of Worship as a funeral benediction. Now, with this being my first sermon here at Great Bridge, I hope that the funeral benediction part is not foreshadowing the rest of my tenure with you all. Over the last five years, I have been on five mission trips. Four of those have been close to home in Virginia, West Virginia, and Pennsylvania, and the fifth one was in Guatemala. Each trip has shown me the very best and the very worst of God's creation. I have seen families living in conditions that we would never imagine placing our children into, and yet those people are still filled with a grateful love and live hopeful that God will bring them through. After returning from Pittsburgh last Saturday, I began to really think about my own experiences while serving on mission teams. I was hoping to come up with a great sermon for this morning that would convince all of you that you need to go with us to West Virginia in September, or that you would want to sign up to go to the Jeremiah Project next summer as a chaperone. I thought maybe I would stand up here and quote uh, world vision statistics to you, like this one, that the equivalent of 100 jetliners carrying a total of 26,500 passengers crashes every day. 
26,500 people, children, will die today and tomorrow and the day after that from treatable and preventable causes. And while this mostly happens in the third world, imagine if staggering numbers like that were happening here in the United States. We would have congressional meetings. CNN would be running the story 24-7. And we would all demand change until the problem was addressed. Or, I could stand up here and tell you that if you want your teenager to grow in their faith, uh, then you should send them to a place where it will be challenged. Seeing someone the same age as them in unthinkable living conditions might change their worldview. Sending your child on a mission trip might make your son or daughter appreciate that new iPhone or new car you gave them a little bit more. But I'm not going to do either one of those. Maybe it's because I'm a sucker for Westerns or because I love to examine every angle of a situation, but this week I kept returning to the idea that Christian mission, service in the name of Jesus Christ, has a good, bad, and ugly side. And this morning, I want us to examine all three of those. Now, I was going to wear a brown leather fedora like Mr. Eastwood wore, but as I learned at Panera on Friday morning that Western ponchos and cowboy hats are not viewed as proper worship attire. So are you all ready? Let's start with the good. In December, my wife, or sorry, December of 2012, My wife, Allison, and I had the opportunity to travel to the highlands of Guatemala and live in a Mayan village for a week. Contrary to what your your children are taught in school, there are still Mayans who live in Guatemala. And it was there that we received the most gracious and outgoing hospitality that I have ever experienced. People who literally only owned the shirt on their back welcomed us into their homes, cooked us meals, and allowed us to partner with them, building a community center that would create a longer-term partnership bringing clean water to a place in the world that the United States Agency of International Disaster Relief has all but abandoned. It was in Guatemala where Allison and I both looked at each other at the end of one day and wondered, how are we going to make a difference here? The poverty that surrounded us made us, made me feel like God had abandoned these people and there was little that we could do to change their situation. A few days into the trip, I met a girl named Maria. Maria was seven years old, about, probably about that tall. And at the time, she was the same age as one of our pastor's sons. Maria, being seven, was curious about the gang of white people who had descended upon her village with their brand new mission trip gear, costing more than one person in their village would make that year, and enough hand sanitizer to end most major health epidemics. She followed us around, greeted us every morning outside the home we were staying in, and even shared meals with us. And it was a few days into the trip, after meeting Maria, that I was smacked in the face. I saw that God was still in the highlands. I was finally seeing Christ through... Maria, through a seven-year-old girl. Her smile in the face of such adversity, her eagerness to help with a daily workload that a seven-year-old should never be expected to do, and the childish antics she displayed in the midst of such poverty 
reminded me that while it may appear that God had abandoned these people, that Christ was very much at work in the hearts of the community. Christ was at work in Maria, reminding me that no matter the circumstance or poverty we are born into, Jesus is still there, walking along beside us, step by step. The good that we see in Christian mission is Jesus Christ. If we fail to serve with that in in mind, then we're simply good people doing good things. What separates Christian mission from community service is the expectation that we will meet Christ and Christ's good news in everything that we do. We will share the good news that Christ is for everyone and not just those of us who live in the upper percentages of the global GDP. The good news of Jesus Christ is the good of Christian mission. But with the good must come the bad. Think about your children for a minute, if you have children, or your friend's children, or your grandchildren. Think about the best behaving child in your family. Even they have a bad day. Even my angel of a child has been asked to leave the church nursery here, and we've only been here for four weeks. He made it through today. Sometimes when we go on mission trips, things don't go according to our plan. There are times when we will run out of cement mechs or paint, or we will end up in the emergency room. There are times while on youth mission trips that teenage love will quickly turn into teenage drama. And sometimes those who we serve will not be as gracious as we would like them to be. What we need to remember in these moments, what I need to remember in these moments, is that God is still at work in the midst of confusion, chaos, and even dysfunction. It's hard for us to remember sometimes, but Christian mission is not about our plan. It's about what Christ has in store for each of us and for those whom we are serving. Our Methodist heritage gives us a great example of the bad in Christian mission being turned into the good news of Jesus Christ. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, was not an overnight success. He's not the overnight success that you would expect the theological patriarch of a global denomination to be. During his missionary work in Savannah, Georgia, he failed to convert the Native Americans that so many missionaries had failed to convert. He was also run out of town in the the dead of night after a communion scandal that would only be fit today for Jerry Springer. By all accounts, he left America a failure. And yet God was not done. God was still at work, even in the midst of human flaw and human failures. The same was seen at my job site in Pittsburgh a few weeks ago. While on all levels of project management, structural engineering, and common sense, our job site was a complete failure. We lacked all of the necessary materials and skills needed to accomplish our goal I skipped basement pour flooring, basement floor pouring 101 in seminary. I was sick that day. And yet, students from this congregation, students that sit by you every week, students that you tell to be quiet or to put their phones away, took it upon themselves to transform a community. They saw a need in the community that I overlooked and that a mission organization touting 30 years of service overlooked. The Holy Spirit was working in them 
Opening their eyes to the needs of the community. And just like Paul wrote in our reading today, God does all of this, not by pushing us around, but by working within each and every one of us. His Spirit is deep and gentle within us. The Holy Spirit worked through students like Chris, Colin, Lindsay, and Nicole. The Holy Spirit transformed not only the community we were working in, but also the very students who were being used as instruments of God's holy work. And with the good and the bad also comes the ugly. Paul wrote this in the last two verses of today's reading. God can do anything you know, far more than you could ever imagine, or guess, or request in your wildest dreams. Five years ago, if you told me that I would be a youth pastor, finishing seminary, and relocating my entire family to Southern Virginia, I would have told you you were nuts. If you had asked my wife the same question, you would have needed to take a step back because she would have slapped you in the face. We had our lives mapped out. We knew exactly what we wanted to do. We had our five-year plan, and my five-year plan did not involve moving to Great Bridge. The work that we do in the name of Christ will literally change your life. And for some of us who were not prepared, it can seem like a bad thing. For some of us, it will challenge our faith, our relationships. And if you ask my wife, it may have challenged my sanity also. Five years ago, I led a middle school mission trip to the Jeremiah Project. Some of these students at this church were on that same mission trip. I led that mission trip after being strong-armed by our pastor on the way out of worship. Jason grabbed me by the arm and told me that he needed a male chaperone for a summer mission trip. It was September, so in my head I thought, well, that's terrible. Good luck with that. Jason smiled back like a used car salesman who was ready to close the deal, explaining to me that our marriage license... Allison and I had just returned from our honeymoon, was still sitting on his desk and hadn't been mailed in yet. (laughs) And he really, really needed a chaperone. God will do amazing things in the lives of those who least expect it. Like Paul, from our reading today. If you didn't know, before Paul was Paul, he was Saul. And Saul thought that he would rout out the first church. Removing them and any mention of Christ from human history. But God had another plan in mind. The author of the letter we are studying this summer, one of the very first Christian missionaries, was the least likely of candidates. And when Jesus and the Holy Spirit began to move on his life, he, would, he was forever changed. The ugly part of mission is that we are changed, and there's nothing we can do about it. The very last night we were in Pittsburgh, Uh, our students and I and our chaperones all sat on an old, dingy carpet that was about ten years past its prime. We sat in a circle and we began to share our thoughts about the week and what it had meant to us and what each other meant to us. And I closed that session by telling our students that a week-long mission trip is not the bookend of their summer. 
It's not something that they should be doing for community service hours or for Facebook pictures with poor babies. Christian mission and service is not something that we do when it fits into our schedule or when we feel like doing it. All disciples of Jesus Christ, all those who claim the cross that Christ bared, and not just those who are handy or have a free week during their summer vacation, are called to service in Christ's name. When we go out and we share the good news of Christ, we should be anxiously awaiting for Christ to reveal himself in the work that we're doing. When we feed the poor or serve the impoverished or align ourselves with those on the margins of society, we are, in fact, serving our Lord Jesus Christ. As a church, we can no longer put off to next summer or even next week the needs that are placed before us today and this morning. Even if we think we don't have the required skills to build a wheelchair ramp, dig a post hole, or feed the hungry, we must still act. We must trust that when we are called by our Creator, that our Creator will respond by empowering us with the necessary skills required to complete the task that is placed before us. We must trust that God will help us pour that concrete floor. So where are you being called in Great Bridge, or Chesapeake, or wherever you call home. The church was not designed to be an inward-facing institution. We are called to be an outward witness beyond the walls of this building, beyond the parking lot. We're called to witness that the risen Christ is present with all, and loves all. So where are you being called to serve in Chesapeake? If you ask some of the youth I've gotten to know over the past few weeks. They might tell you that I answer very few questions, but I probably leave them with more questions than they wanted. So I'm going to leave you all with a question this morning. This comes from Richard Stearns, who's the CEO of World Vision. World Vision is the largest Christian missionary organization in the world. What does God expect from us? It's a simple question, really. But is the answer so simple? What is the Christian faith about? Going to church every Sunday? Saying grace before meals? And avoiding the most serious sins? Or does God expect more of us? I offer it to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.